for leading us this morning, and uh, Julie and Bob, uh, Pastor Hank, uh, just uh, leaned over to me and said uh, how, how wonderful it is to hear you harmonizing together like you did this morning. And I think most of us would pay to be able to harmonize like that, and so thank you for serving us together today. Well, I had a class name, uh, mate in high school by the name of Mike, who uh, after graduation went into business <clears throat> for himself. Uh, his parents died young, and so he inherited the family home and the family property. And he built a very, very nice auto repair shop and did very well in the auto repair business. And then one day I heard that his brother Tony was building a competing auto repair shop right across the street. I literally could not believe it until I saw it. And I thought to myself, it's one thing to go into the same business as your brother. But right across the street... And Mike had been there for a number of years to compete with the same customers and divide your family. Well, as you can imagine, Mike was very upset about this. And it damaged their relationship. In fact, you know, you could have put a wall right down the middle of the street between those two auto repair shops because a wall developed between Mike and his brother. Now, I have a question for you this morning. Do you have a brother like that? A parent like that? A child like that? A co-worker? A neighbor, a friend. Some of us may be here today and we are not speaking to somebody who has done us in. Others of us may be bitter and resentful because we have been wronged or cheated by someone in life. It is very possible somebody here today is actively retaliating against somebody who has done damage to us. To all of us engaged in behavior that we think is justifiable, Jesus has these words to say to us. Would you read them together with me? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How many of you think these Beatitudes are getting easier? Isn't this why we need a Savior? Oh, how much the Beatitudes teach us that we need a Savior. Now today we are moving in to the second level of Beatitudes. You know, Beatitudes 1, 2, 3, and 4 have to do with our relationship with God. 
But as we come to Beatitudes 5, 6, and 7, we are learning how to live for God. And so this morning, I want to ask the very simple question, what does it mean for us to be merciful? And I want you to take your Bibles again and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, as we begin the second tier now of our Lord's teaching on the Beatitudes, and we come to verse 7, and we see him say this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now today, I want to do two things. First of all, I want us to look at some basic considerations about this beatitude. And then the second thing I want us to do is I want us to see how this applies to our life in three ways. So let's begin this morning by looking together at these basic considerations about mercy. All right? Now here's the first one. Mercy can be defined in this way. It is compassionate action to relieve human misery. Uh, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, the Greek word is eliemon, eliemon. And the basic meaning of this word is being concerned about people in their need. So right away we understand that mercy is a feeling word. It has to do with compassion and sympathy for those who are in misery, but it does not stop with just the feeling because it goes on to action to actually relieve the misery that others may be feeling. Now when we look at this word and we look at its, de at its definition, we say this morning, well that's good and that's right. That's the kind of people we ought to be. But I want you to understand that this is not what is normal for sinful human beings. Uh, the Romans had four cardinal virtues. Wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. Mercy was not among them. For the Greeks, mercy was a weakness. It was not for somebody who was strong. In fact, outside of Christian writings, the word mercy hardly ever appears in secular Greek authors. So what we see this morning as normal and good, we must understand is not really a part of what sinful humanity is all about. I don't have to tell you how appallingly unmerciful humanity can be. I don't have to tell you that this morning. Uh, when I was a student, uh, I held um, services on uh, Saturday or Sunday, I forget the, the particular day, at a Chicago nursing home. And I remember one day in the community room, uh, two of the elderly patients broke out into a fistfight with one another. Uh, there was a blind man in the community room that day. In fact, he was so blind, uh, he's the only man I've ever seen whose eyelids were actually sewed shut because he had no eyeballs. That's how blind he was. 
And when he heard that a fight was going on amongst these two elderly patients at the nursing home, a gleeful look came across his face and he began cheering, hit him, hit him. I mean, he could not even see the fight, but it thrilled him to think that two old people were slugging it out. Isn't that human nature? Callous. Indifferent. Even cruel. That's why we call it man's inhumanity to man. Do we not? Now that leads to a second consideration we have to think about then when we see what Jesus says. Blessed are the merciful. And that consideration is this. God's mercy to Christians is what inspires our mercy to others. It is very clear here that mercy is not a normal human virtue. We do not possess this naturally. Instead, our mercy to others grows out of our experience of God's mercy to us. And let me just say, it is the only reason we will ever be merciful people. In fact, that is the point of the promise here in verse 7. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, he is not saying to us, we will earn God's mercy by showing mercy. Rather, the future tense here is a statement of confidence. What this means is, we show mercy because we are confident that God has been merciful to us, and we are so confident we will continue to receive God's mercy that it motivates us to continue showing mercy to others. Now can you begin to see why this is the fifth beatitude? Do you understand now why this is the first beatitude in our duties to others? Look at what we have learned so far. We ought to be poor in spirit, but honestly we think we're pretty good. We ought to mourn over our sins, but most of the time we ignore our sins. We ought to be meek before God, but quite honestly, so much of the time we are proud in the eyes of God. And we ought to hunger and thirst for the righteousness alone that God can give, and yet naturally we are so self-righteous. What should God do with people like that? You know. He ought to condemn us. He ought to judge us. Instead, what has God done? God has pitied us. And in mercy, He has sent His Son to die for us that we might be saved. Can anybody say, what a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior. Listen to these words this morning from the book of Ephesians. Let me read them to you so that they will penetrate our hearts today. All of us lived at one time 
gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Do you know mercy in the Bible is so wonderful? The Bible cannot say enough about it. God's mercy is called great. It is called rich. It is called new. It is called everlasting. It is called abundant. And the prophet Jeremiah says this in the book of Lamentations, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. That's what the Bible has to say about the mercy of God. Did you know as Christians the only reason we are not consumed right now is because Jesus is interceding for us? The Bible says that Jesus is at the Father's right hand. And at this very moment, he is pleading the merits of his blood on our behalf. And we are forgiven every single day of our lives of countless sins because Jesus intercedes. So the writer to the Hebrews can say in Hebrews 7.10, Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always intercedes for us. That is mercy. That is mercy. In fact, do you know, the Bible calls us vessels of mercy. Just think of what that means today. If you are a Christian here this morning, you are a vessel of mercy We are like empty vessels and God is pouring His mercy into us every day through Jesus Christ. That's how merciful God is to us. I love this statement that I came across this past week in my studies. I love this statement. What we need most is mercy. Justice would ruin us. You say yes to that this morning? God, I don't want your justice. If I got your justice, it would ruin me. What I need is your mercy to me in Jesus Christ that you so freely give to me on a daily basis. Oh, not a single one of us today wants justice. We want mercy. Can I say to you that there are times in my own personal experience when I'm so filled with regret over my past sins that I feel unworthy to stand in this place. When I think of the times in which I've been so selfish, 
the ways in which I have wronged other people. I think of ugly thoughts that I've had towards other people that turned out to be absolutely wrong. And sometimes when I think of those things, I feel so unworthy, I almost during the week want to call Pastor Hank and say, would you preach this Sunday? I'm not worthy to stand in that pulpit. And in those times in my life, the only thing that I can say is, oh God, you have forgiven me because of your mercy to me in Jesus Christ. And the only reason that I am worthy to stand in this place is because I am a vessel of mercy. I am a vessel of mercy. Thank you, God. For your mercy. Now, when we begin to understand what God has done for us, it is only then that we can begin to practice this fifth beatitude. And so, after looking at what this beatitude really is saying to us, let's move secondly to three applications. The Bible is so wonderful because it tells us exactly how we are to live out what it is teaching us. And this morning I want to give us three applications and these applications answer this question. How we know if we are merciful. There is absolutely no doubt about it. The Bible shows us clearly how we know. And oh, may God speak to our hearts this morning and draw us after this kind of a life. Let's look at them together, shall we? Here's the first one. We know we are merciful if we are involved in helping those in need by relieving their misery. Now, all of us know that Jesus told a parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want to ask you to turn there because it's such a familiar parable. It's in Luke chapter 10. And there you recall what happened. This uh, Jewish man was on his way from Jericho down to Jerusalem, uh, no doubt to worship. It's about two miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a long winding uh, road through a very rocky terrain. It is a place where robbers easily hide in the shadows and you recall what happened. This man was robbed, beaten, and he was left for dead. And Jesus said in the parable that two men happened by. One was a priest, and one was a Levite. And as you can see in front of you this morning, they passed by on the other side. These were the religious folks. These were the religious folks who should have been merciful, but they ignored him. By the way, you know that the rabbis taught that people get what they deserve. 
And so this priest and Levite would have said to themselves, this man brought this on himself, and so they felt no obligation to help. Uh, Let me just say this. Often the most callous people you will run into are religious people who have never been born again. Not having experienced the mercy of God, they do not show the mercy of God. But then you remember this Samaritan came by. And the parable says that he showed mercy on this man. Now, isn't this a wonderful bronze statue? I mean, what a wonderful statue to have in the square in front of your building. Now, the Samaritan had many reasons not to show mercy. One, Jews hated Samaritans. So if this Samaritan had met this man on a normal day, this man would have had nothing to do with him because he would have despised him as a Samaritan. The Samaritan also exposed himself to danger. The longer he lingered, the greater the chances he could be robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And then, remember, this cost him money. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, paid the innkeeper two days' wages, and said, I will check back. If he needs any more, I will pay the remainder. This man had many, many reasons not to show mercy and to be involved. Why then did he do it? Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his great speeches, gave the best answer I've ever, I've ever seen. Look what Martin Luther King Jr. said. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, What will happen to him? Isn't that a great test for us today? How do I know if I'm a merciful person? Which question do I ask? And if I ask the second question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Then I must go a step further and ask, how long has it been since I helped anyone? Let me say to you this morning, one of the saddest things that happens in our churches, one of the saddest things that can happen, is for us to come to church and go from church and no one to be better off for it. Isn't that a sad thing? For us to come to church and go from church and no one to be better off for it. And so mercy is helping those in need to relieve their misery. Let's look at the second application. 
Second application this morning is mercy is forgiving those who have sinned against us. I want you to take your Bibles this time and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told another parable entitled the parable of the unmerciful servant. And we must turn there together this morning to see what Jesus had to say. This is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And here's what happened. There was a king who had a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Look at verse 23. Therefore, says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought in. Now, let me just give you an estimate here of what this was like. One talent was worth 15 years' wages. What would you earn in 15 years? Now, multiply that by 10,000. This man owed the equivalent of 15,000 years of wages... It was millions and millions of dollars. He probably had gotten that money through underhanded means, and this debt was now unpayable. And you know what the king was going to do? He was going to sell the man and his wife and his children into slavery so that he could recoup whatever amount he might be able to get. By the way, if that was going to happen to your family, what do you think you would do if you were their father and husband? Look at what he did, verses 26 and 27. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. Yeah, right, 15 years of wages. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Is that mercy this morning? That is mercy. But then something happened that is totally shocking. The servant went out and he found a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. Look at verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Look on the screen and see him grabbing this fellow servant around the throat and choking him as he demands, pay back what you owe me. By the way, 100 denarii, less than one-third of a year's wages. A few thousand dollars, very manageable debt, 
And notice the fellow servant made the same request for patience and time. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Something we need to see here this morning. Had this man wanted the money, what he did was totally counterproductive. You cannot work while you are in jail. What is clear was, it was not the money that was the big issue for him. What he really wanted was revenge. He wanted to destroy this man. He wanted this man to suffer. And would you look at the faces of his fellow servants, the shock in their faces is the point of the entire parable. The artist who has drawn this picture showing the shock of the fellow servants as they're watching this is the point of the entire parable. Look at verse 31 as now Jesus skillfully draws the point. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you in anger? His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is how God views us as Christians when we refuse to forgive others. We see the point. As Christians, we owe God an incalculable debt of sins we cannot pay. It is like millions and millions and millions of dollars, and in mercy, God has forgiven it all and continues to forgive it all through Jesus. And when we then turn around and refuse to forgive others, it is like taking revenge over a few thousand dollars. It's so clear what Jesus is saying. One of the most penetrating statements that I've ever read is this statement right here. Pastor John MacArthur in a sermon on forgiveness said these words. Never are we more like God than when we forgive. Never. Because God is a God of mercy, He delights to forgive. 
And that's why Beatitude number five is the first one in how to live for God. Because when we forgive, it is exactly the nature of God who loves in his mercy to forgive. By the way, should I add the reverse of this this morning? Should I add the reverse of this? Never are we more unlike God than when we refuse to forgive. Now let me just make a few very important points about forgiveness. Forgiveness often takes time because of the shock we have experienced. Forgiveness sometimes takes a little while because we have been so shocked by what is done to us. Secondly, forgiveness includes holding people accountable for their actions. That's a part of forgiveness. But, thirdly, forgiveness means I release the person by letting go of bitterness and retaliation. That's what it means to forgive. I release the person by letting go of bitterness and retaliation, and I wish them well, and I will do good to them whenever I have the opportunity. That's what mercy is. By the way, uh, you know my friend Mike? His brother built the auto shop right across the street from where he had his business. The last time I knew, their relationship had healed. In fact, the last time I spoke to Mike, he spoke well of his brother. See, Mike was not raised in a Christian home. He was not a Christian growing up. But in his adult years, Mike wonderfully was converted and is now a regular church attender. In fact, one day he saw another classmate of ours in the same church and he later said to him, the roof of the church didn't fall in because both of us are here today. And evidently, Mike, now becoming a Christian, having experienced the mercy of God, could no longer hold a grudge against his brother. And therefore, forgave him. And all of God's people said, Now there's one final application. Finally. And to close. We know we are merciful by giving the gospel of salvation to lost and condemned sinners. Do you know the whole story of Jonah could be given this title? The mystery of God's mercy. Jonah was the hard-hearted, disobedient prophet, yet God saved him from certain death in the belly 
of a great big fish. How many here this morning believe God had every right to let that man perish in the belly of that fish? Sure he did. But Jonah cried out to God for mercy, and God had mercy and delivered him. And then remember what happened. Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites, whom he considered more wicked than himself, and therefore preached to them so that they could avoid God's annihilation. The very salvation that Jonah had experienced, he did not want to extend to others. And the whole point of the book of Jonah is Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. If we have experienced God's mercy, we will want to extend that mercy in salvation to others. That's the whole point of the book of Jonah. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. And that is the point of Jonah. If Jesus is precious to us, we will not be able to keep that good news to ourselves. Oh, how I love this beatitude. And this morning, as we close, as we prepare to come around this table, that speaks to us as vessels of mercy. I want you to join me in affirming God's purpose and will for your life and for mine. Would you join me today in saying, Lord, this is the kind of life that I want to live. Please join me as we read it together. Because I have received mercy from my Lord and Savior, I can show mercy by helping those in need to relieve their misery. By forgiving those who have sinned against me. By giving the gospel of salvation to lost and condemned sinners. Bow your head together with me. Lord Jesus, we stand before you today in such wonder and gratefulness. We know we cannot fully take in what it means to be a, a vessel, an empty vessel that you have poured your mercy into and continue to do on a daily basis only because Jesus stands pleading the merits of his blood in heaven for us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. 
And Lord, when we understand, because of the Lord's love, we are not consumed. His mercies to us are new every morning. Then and only then can we be merciful to others. Touch us today, Lord, where we need to be touched. Speak to us, Lord, where we must change. Help us, because we are confident we have received mercy, to then extend that mercy. Oh God, today we will gather around this table that speaks to us so wonderfully of Christ and what He has done. And I pray, Lord, today for anyone who is not a Christian, who has not come to know Jesus. And as they watch us partake of the elements, which are non-saving elements, they can do nothing for us. May they look beyond the elements and see Jesus and what He alone can do for them in saving them from their sins and giving them eternal life. And I pray, Lord, today for anyone who has a question about where they stand with You. Oh God, bring them to Jesus today. Lord, for those of us who have become indifferent or calloused, or unmoved, unconcerned. Oh, stir our hearts. We need more, not less. And we're so thankful that you are willing to fill us and lead us into all of your truth. We love you today. We thank you for the men who are coming to serve today. We gather around the table of the Lord. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Our men are coming. And we're going to take a little time together. To gather around the Lord's table. I want to remind you that there is no saving grace in these elements. That as we come to the Lord's table, we must remember that these are only emblems of what Christ has done for us. The bread that we will partake of symbolizes Jesus' broken and bruised body. Can't you not, can't you not see that on the cross? Can't you see him hanging there? bruised and broken for us. The juice that we will participate in reminds us of the blood that flowed from His head, from His hands, His feet, and His side. And it reminds us that He did that for us, that we might have full forgiveness of sins, that God might accept us and make us His children if we will trust Jesus 
as our Lord and Savior. If you're not a Christian here today, you have any doubt about that, you can accept Christ right where you're at. There have been people down through the history of the Christian church who have accepted Jesus right during communion service. And may that happen to you. But let me read for you what the Apostle Paul says about this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these wonderful words about the communion time. And I want to share them with you this morning. Listen to what he says. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the body of the Lord? In other words, aren't we participating in what Christ did for us because we have trusted Him as our Savior? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who participate all partake of the one loaf. I love that so much. Christ has not only reconciled us to the Father, He's reconciled us to one another. And so we not only have a relationship with God through Jesus, but we are brothers and sisters united to one another. What I would like to do is take a moment to invite you to bow with me in silent prayer of confession. And I, I want you just to ask the Lord to show you whether there is anything that is wrong out of the will of God in your life. Maybe it relates to a person, whether a believer or a non-believer, that you need to make things right with. And you know that. And so whatever it is, would you just lay it before the Lord today and say, Lord, as your child, claiming your forgiveness, I want to live in obedience to you. Let's bow our hearts together in silent prayer. Father, whenever I come to the communion table, I'm reminded of the words of James. We all stumble in many ways. Lord, you know that about us better than we do. And we know that about us better than our brothers and sisters do. And I'm reminded of the words of the Old Testament, O oh Lord, if you would count iniquities, who of us could stand? And we cannot stand behind a pulpit or any other place. 
You're thoroughly, totally dependent upon your mercy. We thank you today that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Hallelujah, O Lord. The blood that was shed 2,000 years ago is sufficient for the sins that will be committed tomorrow. And we claim your cleansing blood. But we know that we come to the table, Lord, wanting to be open and honest, not not wanting to take for granted the great price that was paid. Salvation is easy, but it is not cheap. It costs the lifeblood of our Savior. And so, Lord, we pray with David, search me, know me, try me. See if there be some wicked way in me. Lord, I cannot see it. I need you to show it to me. And then, Lord, confessing it and forsaking it. Lead me now in the way everlasting. Thank you, blessed Savior, for the bread reminding us Jesus suffered and died, the Lamb of God, in our place for our sins. Thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen.
The scriptures tell us that Jesus took that bread and and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. And as we continue to think upon our Lord's broken body, let's affirm together from our hearts to His. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being merciful to me together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being merciful to me. And now, Father, we thank you for the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This one, after he had made a perfect sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of the Father that we might know that through faith in his name we are justified from all the things the law of Moses could not justify us. How glorious that is. Thank you, Savior, for the blood. In Jesus' name, amen.
The scriptures tell us that Jesus took the cup, said this cup is my blood and the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then because we're one body together, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, Jesus said, drink ye all of it. as we continue to think upon our Lord's shed blood, let's affirm together to Him, from our hearts to His. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving me together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving me. Remember, the Bible says when they sang a hymn, they went out. Where Jesus prayed in agony, was arrested, and went to the cross. <clears throat> this morning, we know we could never repay our Lord for what He has done for us. All of our efforts are token at best, and yet they please the heart of the Lord. He has saved us, and then He's pleased when we serve Him in return. Today, we have an opportunity to extend concern and help to those within our fellowship who are without, perhaps uh, in a time of crisis or need, and so um, we have a sunshine fund, and we take it every Sunday that we do communion. And so uh, we're going to remain seated at the opening of these uh, final song. And uh, by the way, didn't Kathy do a tremendous job of choosing songs that fit exactly this morning with what we were preaching about? Kathy, I almost wanted to say, you know, you took my thunder away in these songs. Uh, they were just, and you even had songs in there about the mediation of Christ in heaven. It was just... It was just incredible, and I want to thank you for such uh, care in choosing the music this morning. 